0: We were just looking this up before we were recording, Matt, but you have uh, you've been on this sort of like transformation within your organization for like almost a year now. Is that, uh, is
1: that right? Yeah, that is right. It's really crazy. I started at Allstate in mid-March of last year. So we're coming up on a year from when I started. Obviously, they were starting on the journey a little bit before I, I got there, um, but we really started to kind of. Step into it and and put the pressure on to move it forward. Uh, after c- coming out of CF Summit, I would say, which right. was May, about May timeframe, right? Right, the end of. When Andy gave, yeah, when the Andy gave um, his keynote talk about, uh, and that's Andy Zitney, uh, CTO of Allstate, gave his keynote talk about you know developing the freedom to disrupt and it's been a cool and interesting journey. I would say that it's not turned out at all how I would have expected, although (laughs) even looking back, I'm not even sure what my expectations were at the time. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, uh,
0: interesting parallel whatever but like it's uh this month i've been at uh at pivotal for a year like i think i i uh, if i have the date right I, I joined like or my first day was january 15th of last year so you know i guess it's it's over i need to go check my linkedin and see if it's asking everyone to congratulate me or something but it is uh yeah i i agree like like most of these things um I mean, I don't know about you, but the the way that I usually judge if I want to embark on some new job or, or journey or whatever is like, if it seems like it'll be interesting, like I, I never really know exactly how it's going to pan out because I've learned, you know, people will say like, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And, and they do like a third of them, <laughs> but, but it's more about picking, picking like a context that will be interesting no matter what happens, because who knows what will happen.
1: Yeah, I completely agree it- Um, you know for me it's about who are the people that are going to work with me to solve this problem is the problem interesting and do I think we have a shot at success and if the answer to that is resoundingly yes then it's not very interesting of a problem to me (laughs) so I like things where you know the odds of failure are reasonably high um, because uh, you know otherwise it's no fun that's right. It was easy.
0: There's, there's, there's no challenge. So yeah. So I, I, I was thinking like now that it's you know we're rounding up by several months here, but now that it's kind of a year, like obviously uh, you guys, the team over there at Allstate are being successful. Otherwise, you maybe not be there anymore, right? Or, or we wouldn't be talking about this. But you're sort of proven out that that the the trajectory and line of thinking is uh, is working thus far. And it got me to thinking that you know there's been probably at least you know let's say I'm just generalizing, uh, you know, there's at this point a year or so into a project like this, there's usually like one to five, maybe 10 if you're lucky, like successful projects or initiatives, depending on how you size it up. But you've sort of proven that that, that your wacky ideas work. And then uh, it seems like the next question you get is like, how do we scale this up to the rest of the organization? Right? Like, so it's, it's one thing if these, these one to five or maybe 10 like teams or initiatives worked out. But now we need to do this. Like we need to, to put it my funny way, we need to make this boring. We have to do this every day in every part of the organization. And, and it, it strikes me that doing that with a company, all state size, or I don't know, well, in any sort of medium to large size company, there's like a whole new set of challenges that that you get into. And so I'm curious, like what, uh, what you guys are encountering kind of a year out from this, like what, what do you do over the next year after that first year?
1: I think for, well, I think we were starting to do a couple things. One is, um, at least within Andy's organization, within um, his sphere of influence in Allstate, or his direct sphere of influence, our goal is to eat our own dog food in a serious, serious way. And so what we're trying to do is really scale up the development and engineering of products within um, the infrastructure areas so that we really drive self-service and fantastic customer experiences in all parts of the services that we offer out to, um, in many cases, all state developers. Um, in some cases, you know, other employees on the infrastructure side. And um, so, you know, for us, that's how we're stepping into it. We're trying to kind of lead from the front and show people that this can be done and how we're doing it. And that's forcing us to solve a lot of the problems or a lot of the questions that people have asked us about, whether that's related to how we do financial budgeting, how do we do hiring, how do we do training, how do we organize teams. Because one of the things I think we've really struggled with is um, we frequently get the question uh, that could generically be restated as how in this new model do you do something that you would absolutely never do? (laughs) Right. Right? Like, how in this new model do you plan four years out and build a product with a team of 500 people that, like, all report to, like, you know, one executive. And, you know, the bias or the bias going in is just that, well, we don't, all we have to do is like change people. Um, and they have to change, but we don't have to change. And it drives a very interesting discussion around, well, organizational structure potentially has to change. When we're talking about small autonomous teams. Um, the word autonomous is actually very important uh, in there. And people really can struggle with this idea of these small teams of five to ten people being able to completely decision the strategy and the roadmap of their product independent of anybody else.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's funny you put it that way because this is a... Uh... This is a, a reoccurring theme I've noticed. Is you uh, you 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 go in and you tell an, an organization like, "Hey, you're doing it wrong," <laughs> and you know it being sort of like um, how you be creative or innovative with software and sort of use the full malleability and agility of software to like very rapidly be exploratory and try out new things, how you, how you change the business by changing software essentially. And um, so it's essentially like, Oh, the way you've organized everything now is, is built around sort of like this weird project approach to software where a project comes together, builds it and then leaves. Like there's this, just one version of the software that's out there and, and all sorts of things, but it just, you, you went through it, like right? the way you do budgeting, training, hiring and organized teams results in software. That's like not very good. And then and then their first question maybe their first second and third question is always like I totally get that I'm doing it wrong but so without changing anything how can I fix that? <laughs> it's this this constant problem that 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 you face.
1: Yeah, or another question that comes up is well, if I change um to doing it right, what do I do about everybody else that I'm dependent on that's still doing it wrong? It's as if, like, because we can't all make progress together in a synchronized way at exactly the same time, we can't do anything, and it's this this frozen uh, moment of contemplation about uh, what do we do, like we're not sure how to move forward. So we're just going to like keep doing the same thing we've been doing. And, you know, it really does require you to step outside of yourself and think about problems differently and kind of just say, well, what if, what if we did, let's assume away all the problems for a second. What would this look like? How would we do it? And then kind of back into what are the problems and, and let's kind of tackle those one at a time. And, and figure out, um, you know, how how to manage through it, which is interesting because the process of figuring that out is almost the same as the software development process that you're trying to sell. Which is, it's right. very agile. There is no master plan. What's really interesting is everybody wants the master plan, like you've already figured out the destination, um, and they're very. I don't know, frustrated or surprised by this idea of we don't really know what the plan is. We're just marching north, right? And we're pretty sure that if we march north, we'll get to where we want to go. And we know that there will be obstacles along the way, but we don't know what those are yet. And we're willing to settle on this idea that we will tackle those problems as they arise.
0: Right. Anyway, that we have. It's, it's it's kind of like we open up talking about how we choose jobs, right? Like you don't really know exactly what's going to happen. You just sort of go that direction because it seems like it'll work out, right? Like that there's a good idea up there somewhere.
1: Yeah, and I think the other kind of dichotomy that's really interesting is for a lot of people who work in these organizations that are uh, wrestling with this transformational idea. They don't manage their personal lives, their personal lives in this very structured way, planned out kind of way. Right. Yet when they come to work, they have to know exactly what's going to happen between now and eighteen months from now. Um, and it's really about like just live your life as you live it, kind of outside of work, and realize that there's a whole bunch of stuff we don't know. But that we're all smart people, and if we work together, we can figure it out.
0: Yeah, you know, it's 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 funny you say that because because uh, not to contradict you, but like I I often have the thought that. Uh my personal life is like way more structured than my work life. (laughs) Like my, my, uh, my wife is very much so into planning ahead and having plans. She's the kind of person like who wants a grocery list and wants to plan out meals for the week when you go to the store. Whereas, you know, I just go to the store and like make it up as I'm there. But, but I think, I think, um, I I think, I think you're right. Like we put a lot more a lot more emphasis like like we think if there's a lot of planning in whatever situation you have whether it's you know the grocery list thing it actually is kind of nice to plan out meals but never mind that but like uh like we have put a lot of trust in planning like we assume that things are going to work out well and and I guess like I guess like if you're doing the same thing over and over again that kind of works but but that's that's another thing I've noticed in talking with people about transformation you know with software over the past year is Most people don't really understand how chaotic software is. (laughs) They, 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 like, I I remember I was writing up some, something a, a while ago, um, and I was writing like bosses, you know, jokingly like big requirement documents because then they have everything written down and really how hard can it be to code it up once you know what you should be doing. And I feel like that's how people think about software. Like they think it's like one it's once you write down what you want to happen, it's really easy to code it up and it's not a big deal. And two, they have this trust that they know what they want enough to write it down, which uh, doesn't really work that way usually.
1: Yeah, and I think it assumes that the world is frozen in time, which we both know is not the case at all. Um, You know, consumer tastes change, the market changes, competitive landscape changes. And I think you hit on... Something really important with your grocery store analogy is there's sometimes this understanding of Agile that there is no planning, but that's not necessarily, that's actually not at all true. It is, we plan, we just only plan with good information, and we try to avoid planning with bad information that we know is unreliable or unpredictable, Um, that we don't have enough information to make an intelligent decision on right now. So we'll wait until we get enough information and make a decision on that when we're, when we've learned more. Right. Yeah. And so it's not that there's no planning. There's actually lots of planning. You're just not doing it all at one time. Um, and you're trying to optimize the planning so that you can make the best decision possible at the point at which you have to make that decision. And I think that's the difference in understanding is there's a lot of people who believe that this way of working, there is no planning. You're just shooting from the hip and you um, don't really know what you're doing. Um, But I think there's a flip side of that, which is there is an overall vision that you're executing against and you know what the plan is. But you are trying to avoid making decisions, especially highly tactical decisions, now that you can make later with more information.
0: Yeah, you no, know, this this is an interesting point. That I mean, I mean, if you, if you can, you should you should talk more about it in in the well. Let's start from the top, which is so. What is that vision setting that you have? And and you read a lot about this in in the literature. It's sort of like uh, like you, like to use your analogy, we're going to go north. <laughs> Right, right. And the, the vision is we're moving north, which is kind of a comically simple version of the vision. But like, how do you, what's the kind of heuristic you use to make your vision as information rich as helpful so that, it, so that, I mean, as information rich as possible, so it's helpful, but you probably almost have to like cut yourself off from being too detailed at some point, right? Like, you don't want it to be vague, like our vision is to help our customers succeed with their, you know, like, like, yeah. like that, that, that kind of stuff. But like you want to you say how you want to help, you know, your customers decide they should give money to you, like what exactly you might be doing, but maybe you don't specify even how you would accomplish that. So I'm curious, like in going through these exercises, like how are you guys figuring out the right way to set a vision, so to speak?
1: Sure. Well, usually we have an idea of what a product is at some level. And that forms, at least to me, the basis of the vision. So we know what kind of vertical that falls under. We know what line of business it falls under. For example, maybe we're building something for the claims side of the house we have roughly an idea of what claims are, how that process works, who the customer is, and and what that experience is like. And we can start to form the higher level vision of delivering a better experience for claims, and what does that mean, and how do we measure it? Um, You know, I was rereading The Lean Startup a little bit this last weekend, and uh, Eric talks a lot about having measurable experiments all along the way so that every time you deliver something, it gives you, it makes you smarter for the next decision. Right. And I think that's hugely important, which is my deliverables are actually built around this idea of information gathering rather than delivering because i think that's what the customer wants
0: yeah, yeah i I, th- I think that's maybe i don't know maybe the key insight of the lean startup thing is to rephrase what you're just saying is the the main activity you're going to be doing is like getting more information about what works and doesn't work <laughs> and you know a a tried and true way that us humans have of doing that is basically the scientific method, right? Form a hypothesis. And then, and then I like the way you phrased it. Figure out how to measure if it's good or bad. Like, I think that is a key step that a lot of people skip over. Is like, how are you going to measure if your experiment has gone well? So you've got, you've, got a, uh, you've got a hypothesis. You need an experiment, some way of testing out if our hypothesis is true or not. And then critically, like, how do I measure it? And and then you know the the part that I think is maybe different. Well, I don't know the scientific method too well at, at this detail, but I think the part that is especially important for product management and software is like, and now let's analyze all that data and then start the process over again and figure out how to make it better. Right? That's kind of to me the essence of product and design. But that it's really that that figuring out how to measure it that I see people skipping over a lot because that part is. I guess hard <laughs> and 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 it can also be it can also be like a bummer, right? Like someone might have a theory about what's a good idea to do or not and then and then, if you measure if the measurements come out that it doesn't work out as well as you want, you have to be pretty egoless and kind of divorce yourself from that idea and try something different,
1: yeah, absolutely. I think you have to be comfortable with the fact that in many cases, you're throwing away code often. And that's actually a good thing. So as you go through this process and get comfortable with it, you start to get excited by that instead of disappointed by it. And and then so also like speaking of the uh
0: how did you say it? How how would we do things we would never do? Like in, in that area of of people not quite getting it, if you will. So 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 when you're following this cycle, uh like oftentimes you like fail basically, <laughs> like if if you have a, a series of like we we went through three releases and things didn't really improve that well, right? Like like a normal corporate structure, their intuition would be, uh, I guess, to kind of like punish the team doing it, right? Like if you're not showing progress and things aren't progressing, then obviously something is going wrong, and so that seems like the first hurdle that you get over. And, and the answer to that, again, is to like, treat this information as, as a, uh, a, a source of, of input, at least about what doesn't work. But I, I wonder how you're seeing people wrestle with this idea of uh, sometimes it takes a long time for success to come. And, and by virtue of having lots of small little experiments, you kind of expose a lot more failure quantity-wise than you would if you had one gigantic failure. Or I don't know, th- does the issue not come up that much?
1: I would say that that one comes up, like the amount of time to get to success has not been a strong reoccurring theme. I would say it's more about the the reoccurring themes we see are largely centered around interacting with other parts of the organization, um, people management, which is anything from organizational structure to training um, to what are the roles we have today? What are the roles we have tomorrow? Who goes into what role? How do we decide? Um, how do we ensure these people are successful in doing that? Um, and the other one, of course, that comes up, uh, which is probably not very surprising, is financial implications of not having a plan. So, how <laughs> yeah. do you do budget? You know, how do you do budget when you don't have a plan? But what we said is, You do have a plan, but it's this shift of project work to product work. But there are a whole lot of financial and accounting underpinnings that are assumed in, you know, the run the business model that start to be less meaningful as you live into this new world of, I have a product and yeah, I'm going to plan the next few weeks, but I'm going to balance that with reacting to change. And reacting to uh, the evolution of my own understanding of what my customer needs, not necessarily what they're asking for. Right. Which is another kind of interesting thing um, that those experiments drive. Yeah,
0: that, that's 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 interesting because I think, it. I mean, I mean to summarize, it's almost like don't worry about uh, your teams. Being capable of doing the actual work, right, so the question I was asking is like uh so what if you've got all these these product teams together with the developers and who else, and like they keep putting out software that like isn't doesn't quite work right like it doesn't get the results that we wanted and and the answer is kind of like, well, probably what they do will will work, but the things that are going to be a a a, a um, a bigger problem is like the, the whole system and organization you have in place. <laughs> like their mode of operating uh, in sort of small batches will kind of, it doesn't necessarily ensure, but it's not gonna be difficult for them to do something that's valuable. But what's gonna be difficult is all the rest of this organization that you've set up that isn't used to working at that cadence. So it's almost like there's a whole other set of problems to pay attention to rather than just like the, uh, the thing at the center of it, writing the software.
1: There is. And it's almost as if there's a larger fear of creating value and then not being able to unleash it than there is of not creating value in the first place, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so what is like, what, what are the budgeting considerations? This is something like I've, I've started to try to figure out recently because it comes up quite a bit. And so I'm curious, like kind of, you alluded to it, but how, uh, How would you contrast the old method and the more agile method of doing things when it comes to to finance?
1: Sure, absolutely. A lot of the budgeting process for many enterprises is organized around project work. And it's exactly as you described. We're going to hire people or we're going to staff people and time and, and resources to go build this project and deliver it, and then once it's delivered, we don't have to pay for it like ever again. It's like free forever, which we all know to not be true. But this disconnect from the pro- the project life cycle being so tied to the financials, but both of those things being fundamentally disconnected from reality of right. um, the software development life cycle itself. It drives into this weird situation of, well now I have to come up with more money. And what I think folks struggle with is, actually that's not true, you don't. It's just the money is spread across different places. You're still paying the same amount. You're just having a hard time figuring out what buckets the money comes out of to drive these different activities because you now, to some degree have a regular run rate and you can scale that run rate up or down on a uh product depending on what your priorities are what your backlog is and when you need to deliver those things but fundamentally it's less useful to allocate money based on you know some large project so to speak
0: yeah yeah, I, I mean, uh, well, the way money works in all spheres to me is bizarre and enchanting and weird. But the way money works in a corporation is is also always strange because it seems like it's, it seems like the 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 cognitive dissonance, so to speak, in in kind of like the more agile cloud way of operating, and the uh, traditional way of operating is whenever you get money, it's like you are making this promise that you have to fulfill. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the promise has to be like pretty specific, right? Like maybe there's like a range of return that you'll get or things like that, but it's all very like planned out. And then also like, uh, I get maybe cause it's convenient. I don't really know why, but, but those promises are usually in like 12 month increments, which this all kind of adds up to like, when you go to ask for money, People ask these questions that like don't even apply if you're thinking in terms of like, you know, weekly iterations or or, or month long like iterations and things like that. And then it's it's also sort of bizarre to me because it seems like uh, I, I, I don't really know how accountants think. But if I were like, I'm going to come back to you and ask for small amounts of money over time versus I'm going to come to you on day one and ask for a huge amount of money. And then I'll talk to you in 365 days and see how that panned out. <laughs> and it almost, see, it almost seems like money, so to speak, wants the second. They want to give you a giant pool of money and then not really check in on it all the time, which I'm grossly exaggerating it. But uh, it seems like you would want smaller amounts of money with more frequent check-ins. But that doesn't really seem to pan out so much in, in companies.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if it's driven by finance themselves as much as it's driven by uh, what many people refer to as the big evil business, right? The people who are driving feature function requirements, who are sitting probably closest to the customer, who are really coming up with the overall strategy. But I was thinking about it as you were talking. It's almost as if it's the difference between you know, I'm going to go to Amazon and buy a DVD every time something comes out I want to watch. Versus, I'm just going to pay, you know, for Prime and assume that Amazon's going to be good about good, putting good content out there that I'm going to happily consume. Right? right? You know, I'm taking it on trust that as I pay that reoccurring fee, that they're going to constantly be releasing new material that's interesting to me. Um, and what if they don't i guess you know i just stop paying the fee <laughs> and you know that's the that's the mental difference that i think is so di- you know difficult for traditional enterprises to wrap their heads around
0: yeah now that's that's an interesting analogy because it is it kind of highlights what what i what i was uh, rambling through is if if you have one big chunk of money that you pay once you basically have only two decision points. One, when you pay the money, and two, if you stop paying the money, <laughs> right? Like, like you, you, you don't really, like with, with any streaming video service, you don't really have a decision point where you can say like, I want this film or not that film because you're just paying a big lump sum. And similarly, if you're budgeting like a huge lump sum of money, you have less options to go in and kind of like manipulate and choose various ways. Like you're kind of set on a path.
1: Yeah, and and to that end, to take that analogy even further, I can only pick from the catalog of things that are available to me today. So, if I'm planning what I'm going to purchase over, say, the next eighteen months, I don't necessarily know what's going to hit the catalog in the next eighteen months. So, I'm robbing myself of all kinds of options um, that the other model makes readily available to me.
0: So, have 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 you have you guys found some? successful ways of changing finance people over to this uh sort of more frequent schedule a more more agile mindset like how uh, how's that panning out
1: i would say it's a conversation and it depends on um, not only the financial side but the business side mostly it's an education process in many cases the only way that we've found to really be successful into driving that conversation forward is to um, show people with small experiments and get them bought in. I think over time we've seen with the track record um, that we've delivered, the savings are substantial and, and that is starting to make its way into the conversation of, you know, all of a sudden we have all these things that we don't necessarily need to build and so we're not paying for them and so we can use that money for other things that maybe we do need to build or we want to build and it changes the, the conversation a bit. At the same time, we still consistently wrestle with this dynamic of um, how projects get funded and uh we're juggling through that a little bit yeah no so
0: we don't, it, it's it's like it's like another no easy answer yeah yeah no i i mean i mean there's another mm-hmm. another general principle like after a year myself that i've kind of arrived at which is uh the only the only way to like change organizations is to be successful like to put it in a purposefully ridiculous phrasing right but but to your point it's like you can spend a lot of time talking about uh, sort of like the theory of how you should be operating and therefore why it will have benefits, kind of like the platonic approach of like, here's the truth. And once you're exposed to it, you must comply to, uh, you know, how it wants you to operate Like, so that's, that's one method you can kind of beat them over academically with, um, all sorts of, you know, theory and and explanation, or you can do the thing where you go over sort of like, here's how other people are doing it. And they're successful, like their case studies and things like that. And that's marginally good, right? Like that, that kind of works, but until within the organization, you actually have your own, like, uh, sort of a, a little, a little stream, maybe a Creek, if you will, a Creek of success, that you can kind of look on of things you've done in the organization that you can let people analyze and look at that have been successful. I, like it's hard to think of how companies have really gone through change otherwise. <laughs> and, then, and then it's almost like, and this this is this is kind of the basis of, of me thinking about a year in there's a new set of challenges. It's like the first challenge on day zero is buying that time in the first year or whatever, right? Where like, uh, we're gonna be over here, and the skunkworks doing stuff, <laughs> right? Like, and it's never like completely a skunkworks, but you've got to get—you can't be mowed down by by questions. You've got to build up this little stream of success, and then once you have it, then you can start using that as a reference for like proving within your organization that it's a better way of converting over. And uh, I don't know—I I haven't come across many people in large organizations who succeed otherwise, who just suddenly switch over to doing things in a new way.
1: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, one thing we've talked a lot about during this first year is it's almost as if you can't talk somebody into this stuff. Right. You can't talk somebody into the transformation or changing the way you work or changing the financial model. If you can show them or bring them along with you on the journey, then it's amazing how much of the problems that the customers bring up, they will go solve on their own once they've recognized that it's a happier path, that life is better. But and while you're in that explain mode, um, the onus is on you to explain like how those things won't become problems. And it's kind of weird because, I mean, if we were going to be perfectly blunt about the answer to that, the answer is, if I can just show you enough to get you bought in, you will solve this problem for me.
0: <laughs> exactly, it's like some good stone you know what souping. What I mean?
1: Yeah, nice. Um, but it's really hard when you're explaining some to someone in the in the beginning of trying to say, "Well, that's going to be your problem, and I'm not too worried about it because you're a smart person and you'll figure it out." That's that's not you know the sales side of this. Um, having that conversation in that way doesn't really support it. But what we have found is when, you know, organizations start to see the benefits, when development teams start to see the benefits, they tend to find ways around these challenges. And we certainly, because we have more experience um, than other groups in Allstate, we can provide. Um, some coaching and, and some advisory services based on what we've learned and and how we've managed through it. But a lot of the times, once the skin is in the game and it's something that they want, the transformation, the, the faster way of working, the being more iterative is something that they want. A lot of the problems that appear like gigantic problems that are very difficult to tackle um, get solved by the nature of you know, the person who can influence those things most directly and is empowered to influence those things most directly now believes in, you know, what we said the vision in right. the beginning. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I, I mean I think I man, that's such an unsatisfactory answer. In order <laughs> in, in order for me to like uh prove that this works, you need to just come do it with me. <laughs> yeah. But but I, I think yeah, it, it's just like, I, I, I mean, I mean to be a little less, you know, I I I think there are. It's it's sort of like the uh, what's it, the diffusion of innovations, right? Like there's there are the the very early adopters who would just like are fanatical for anything that's new and interesting, right? And uh, and you you've got to find people like that who will go with you on the ride early on. But then as you move up to the the early majority and the late majority, it's like all that really works out is is again one showing is it has to be proven it's either proven by becoming complete common sense in which case it's not really like a big deal or they have firsthand experience doing it on their own and and a lot of it is managing a lot of that that curve is managing how you get people to uh, who experience it firsthand because it's really hard to get them to switch over to it and I think you know to to spout another principle that that I, I don't know I I, th- I would say over the past two years, I've I've like kind of reversed a lot of the decisions. The uh, thinking I've had is if you're at a, a medium to large size company, all of that basically hinges on management for the most part, right? Like high-level management to high, maybe mid-level management are the ones that make that happen at scale. Like you can't really, even if you have one team that's like, has has transformation religion is doing things in the new way like scaling above that team they'll they'll encounter so many obstacles that unless management kind of like clears the path for them you're not really going to be able to expand it beyond one or two teams even if they're fantastic just because there's such just because of what we've been talking about it's so hard to convince people other than them doing it firsthand that doing things and doing software in a new method actually works and is not only not scary, but is usually more successful than a a sort of a waterfall approach to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I, I certainly wasn't trying to downplay the importance of executive support. I think that's another critical ingredient to the recipe is, you know, fortunately, we've had a lot of executive support and we have to some degree broken some rules and That's required air cover at times that we're going to go break rules and do things different. And having that support is really important. And then, you know, one thing that we also didn't talk about is the importance of peer pressure. And as you start to see results and, you know, the water cooler starts, you know, spinning with, hey, you know, this team over here made this change why can't you guys make this change what's different about you or or hey we've made the transition and and we got to integrate with you guys and it's really painful why why aren't you guys getting on board let us show you and um, you know the the flywheel almost starts spinning to a degree it gains its own momentum and starts pushing itself uh, in all kinds of interesting ways
0: yep well, I, bef- before we run out of time. I I also want we've mentioned it actually several times, but there's a topic that uh, I started a, a new column on DevOps over at the Register. Just as like exciting background. They they have like a DevOps conference, so you know, they're uh, they're trying to promote some content. But, you know, I'm always looking for an excuse to write something. And and I just submit it's not published yet, but I just submitted this one on uh, on small batches because I, I was uh I was visiting with with one of our big uh our big retail customers recently. And we spent like a day with uh, several folks there. And I was realizing that one of the sort of hidden, and, and again, we've we've illustrated this all throughout our conversation here, but one of the hidden principles we have in sort of agile or cloud native thinking is to do as small a batches of things as possible. And And in discussing it with them and other people, I realized that we sort of take that for granted. <laughs> this idea that that not only do you, the developers have a small iteration right like i i think i think there's this notion uh, what do they call it water scrum fall where like the developers are doing maybe like a week or two week build but no one ever deploys it to production they deploy it to production still every 6 or 12 months which kind of cuts off the benefit of small batches and uh just as we've been illustrating here like like it seems like focusing on doing like a week or two weeks worth of work that you actually ship into production and observe, like, again, like, I feel, I feel like that's one of the more important principles that, that, that we have. So, you know, the, the way, the way I look at it just as a little preview is like, it's, it's uh, when you, when you think about talking and I'm interested in, in, in uh, your thinking on this, like, it seems like a lot of the cynical way of looking at small batches is that it helps basically with risk management, right like you have less code each time so there's less bugs that you have you sort of reduce this risk of what i call useless software where it's like you could work for 6 months release software and then you've done the wrong thing and you didn't have any input along the way but you have this constant input of if it's useful and so you can course correct more which i think gets to that point i was asking about right like if uh, well what if it doesn't work <laughs> but you have so much feedback that it's hard for the software not to be something useful and then i think i think related to that is also like it gives you the opportunity to innovate more because you have more and more feedback and you're always trying out new things so you have more exposure. And then there's also like, uh, this is the part that I, like I was talking about, I I have the least sort of confidence in, but in theory it gives you more budget control, right? Because there's more opportunity to to fiddle around with the budget, good and bad. And then it seems like the last one is, is, uh, because you're shipping so frequently, it's hard to go over schedule because by definition in the system, you're shipping. <laughs> so you might sort of like miss a schedule of of ultimate completion. Like if you like you may not achieve exactly what you wanted to twelve months ago and therefore be over schedule. But along the way, if you've shipped every week or every month, it's hard to argue that you're missing a schedule. You're always like doing something. But I mean anyhow, it, it seems like that's that's one of the core things that I need to study a lot more of like how how you get to your point not only the team focusing on a small batch but get the whole rest of the organization to be thinking in this really tight loop of a small batch
1: yeah absolutely i mean it's what we talked about earlier around the experimentation um i think what was interesting about what you mentioned is you know it's impossible or it's very difficult to kind of miss a the date or miss the deadline because there kind of isn't a deadline, um, <laughs> right?
0: That, that, like that's kinda, it's sort of like the uh, the Jedi mind trick of of uh, scheduling in, in 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 small batch approaches.
1: Yeah, uh, it's like there kind of isn't a deadline, and if you miss the deadline, it's probably because you decided that particular item doesn't really matter that much, and so it either got deprioritized or you decided not to do it, right? Which is a win on both sides because now you're able to allocate the money to things that evidence suggests will deliver more value. And so, do you really care at that point about missing a deadline?
0: Yeah, it's like a, it's a, it reminds me of something that uh, one of my one of my managers once said. Like we, we had just come out of a long meeting, and uh, his 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 boss had done a lot of the talking, and things kind of went sideways. And he said, sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. (laughs) And and so similarly, right? Like sometimes nothing is a big win, right? Like sometimes deciding not to do something is actually like uh, great because it would have been a lot worse if you actually ship something than than if you didn't.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not shipping is better than shipping a, a feature that the customers don't use for sure. Um, But yeah, I I like this idea of the small batches, especially when it comes to software. I think for cookies, large batches, you know, cookies, brownies, any delicious treats, large batches is good. Um, (laughs) Exactly as long as
0: there's a commiserate large batch in your stomach to consume it
1: that's right that's right (laughs) but for software definitely for software and apparently for manufacturing uh small batches seem to be the right way to go and you know it's like you said and we were talking about this a little bit before we got online but is it because software is changing so much and isn't so predictable like if I'm manufacturing a screw that looks exactly the same, has the exact same number of threads, the exact same size down to the millimeter or the micrometer, uh, uh, do do I really care about small batch versus large batch? Maybe not, but that's not software. And software isn't consistent. Software isn't a chocolate chip cookie. It doesn't look or taste exactly the same every time. You're constantly reacting to... Uh, changes in in the business environment, changes uh, to the to the customer, ta- you know, customer needs, and so that's probably what drives us more towards this idea of small batches. Is because we're having to relearn or validate our, our learning after every batch instead of just being able to decide once and go. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, I I, th- I think I think that's true, and I th- I think also in at least from what I you know, have read and, and at least reading about lean manufacturing and things like that, like people do like small batches, but it's more the so small batches come really fast, <laughs> like, like essentially, you know, you want to keep the batches going out and running, but it, it seems like you definitely want lots of checkpoints to inspect things and make sure that quality is good. And therefore, you set up a factory system that allows you to have lots of checkpoints and kind of seems like a a sort of a small batch approach. And there's all the science of, you know, theory of constraints and all that sort of stuff. But I, I I think... I think how that's kind of analogy I mean i I, I, w- I agree with the way you put it that like if I know how to make a screw, I would like to make tens of thousands of those screws, if not hundreds of thousands, versus like, I'm going to make fifty of them. <laughs> right? Like you want to pump out these big batches of things um, compared and compared to software. but I, I think it does highlight something interesting that's 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 worth pointing out, and that is that in software, because all the infrastructure was not very automated, it was really hard to do small batches. Like you would spend all this, like you could do a small batch of code at the, at the application layer, but then you have to do all this work at, underneath in the infrastructure layer, which made your small batch into a gigantic one or a very time-consuming one. And a lot of what enables software developers to do small batches nowadays is automating a tons of that stuff. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And, and that's, you know... I'm always curious when people go over like some great new thing you can do with technology like what's different now and it feels like that's generally a hugely different thing than in the past when when all the layers above the application were very tedious and time consuming for each deploy and would make you spread your your deployment window out longer and longer resulting in larger batches.
1: Yeah, I've kind of talked about this um a couple times before I think which is you know, the interesting shift to me is it seems like now we're building software with releaseability as like a first class citizen. Yeah, exactly. And it didn't, it doesn't feel like we used to do that.
0: No, no, not at all. I I mean, I mean, I think it's only just now that we've moved as, as software creators, I guess from that mentality that, that done is the golden image, (laughs) right? Like, yeah, You think of software a lot differently if the end result is literally, and I mean that word in the literal sense, so to speak, like a CD, yeah. right? Look, or a disc. Like, that's it. I'm done. Whereas, you know, that overstates it a little bit. But nowadays, we think about like operating and running it as part of the software as well. And then that also leads to the idea of, well, if I'm operating and running it, how am I going to make sure I can deploy it easily? If I'm thinking about how I can deploy it easily... Like I could automate all of that. And it's kind of like this almost accidental path that you go down where you end up really, as you said, as you were saying, kind of deploying and running your software is core to the software itself, which is not really the case way back when.
1: Yeah, I I 100 percent agree. It's a it's a fun time to be alive. That's right. What a country. (laughs) <laughs> exactly.
0: Well, I, I think I think with that, we, we got a we got a good discussion going on here in the new year. We didn't sneak it into the new month, but it is it's only February first that we're recording. So I think we got a good episode here. We'll uh w- throughout the rest of the year we'll we'll uh it was just Matt and I on this one, but we'll have to line up some more guests as usual. I've uh I I, th- I think I think we've got a, a pretty good list going on between us and and people that we've talked with. I've I've certainly come across several people who we can uh I might have to do a little bit of cajoling, but we can kind of get them to come on and, 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 you know, kind of as openly as, as you were just doing, Matt, kind of talk about how uh, transformation has been going on. And I think it should be a fun year of, of sorting that out. I think, I think as a whole, when I look at the industry, we're like, we're just over the horizon of, Hey, maybe software works this time. <laughs> like There's been enough success that people are really looking to figure that out. And now it gets down to the, uh, the just the tactics of, of how you go about doing it. And I think that's, uh, that's what will be fun to talk about people with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a fun, fun year. And um, we're seeing a lot of momentum from a lot of big enterprise players. And I think that's going to be the really interesting um, thing that we learn out of this year is you know, it's one thing to do it as a startup; it's another thing to do it with a mainframe. That's right.
0: Yeah, we, we need to switch over to the uh, if 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 the dog is software companies or or some. I always forget the t- tail and dog thing mixed up, but I think hopefully it'll switch over <laughs> at some point where where enterprises start to become the uh, the big innovators. That'll be fun. All right. Well, well, to that end. As always, this has been the Lords of Computing podcast. You can go check out all the past episodes at lordsofcomputing.com and uh, find links to uh, Matt and myself and Twitter and uh, other things like that. I think this is, uh, what is this? This is our our, uh, about fifth or so episode of you and me doing it. And uh, you know, you should subscribe to it. Maybe leave, leave us a review. And if, and if you if you have an idea for uh, a topic that's been vexing you or uh, some companies that you think are interesting, whether it's yourself or others, to kind of interview about how they've been uh, doing software in a new way to change how their organization works, feel free to send those along. And with that, we'll see everyone next time.